you guys for having me. Uh, I'm stoked to be here. I'm glad, man. It's I'm I'm glad to be uh, with a bunch of young people that love the Lord and want to pour their hearts out to Him. And uh, I'm so honored to bring you the Word of the Lord tonight. If you guys want to go to Isaiah chapter six, um, my brother quoted from Isaiah chapter six. There was stuff happening prophetically through worship that I just, God has laid on my heart, and I just believe that he's knitting it all together, and, and uh, I'm just so blessed by it to, to see the Lord move and just prove himself faithful over and over again. Uh, man, I'm just so excited about what God's going to do tonight. Um, Isaiah chapter 6. <sighs> Have you ever got it, like, wrong about someone before? Like, just made a prejudgment based on somebody and just got it wrong? I went to summer camp with this guy one time, and he was, uh, he was a really good basketball player, really hunky and funny, and I know that's weird that I'm calling a dude hunky, but he was hunky. He was good looking, and, uh, and he was hilarious, and he was super, like the best basketball player that I've ever seen. He made uh, like the kids' Olympics team and stuff like that, like really, really, really good. And I was just like, this guy's got to be a tool because you don't have all that without being a tool. And uh, he had it all. And I was like, he's got to be a tool. And he was the nicest guy ever, too, and, and was a great friend. Just totally misjudged this guy based on his appearance and based on the things that he did. And I think we can all get it wrong about people sometimes. We make assumptions based on people's appearance or things that we've heard about them and, uh, and, and just kind of wrap them up in those ideas. Um, and it's an issue that we have as, as humanity, that we're not always the best judges of character. In uh, Genesis chapter 3, that's kind of the problem that happens when Adam and Eve are in this beautiful garden, and God said, you can take from anything except for this one tree. Um, they, the, the serpent comes up, and he deceives them, and they, they fail to believe that God's character is actually good and that he's given them everything good already. And they have to have the one thing that he says no about because they're just not the best judge of character. They believe, he, he says, man, God doesn't want your eyes to be open. If you actually eat from this tree, you're going to be like God. And so they're like, man, he must be withholding something good from me. So let's take from, they saw that the fruit was good and they, and they took it and they ate it and then sin en enters the picture just because they're they were bad judges of character. They believed this cert, the talking snake, which, I mean, there's your first hint. It's a snake that's talking, right? But uh, they believed the talking serpent. They disbelieved God and what he said and make a mess of some stuff. They believe that God is withholding. And every time we make a decision to sin, we're, we're making that same declaration that we believe God is withholding something good from us and we have to take the fruit and eat of it because there's something there that, that he's keeping from us and we just don't believe in the generosity and the goodness of God when we're sinning. And, and so we need to believe the truth about God's character. And, uh, and so this, tonight, I'm just asking, what, what's God like? And uh, in preparation for this, and even during worship, like this was just confirmed in my, in my spirit, <sighs> that if you would just, if you would glimpse the Holy One, like if you would just really see God for who he is, it would absolutely transform you. And like, I was trying to prepare for this, and I was thinking up all this great, cool stuff in my flesh, and it just wasn't working out, and the Holy Spirit would not let me go this direction. 
Like, I just, I want to laser focus on God tonight. Like, I can focus on you and nothing will transform about you, but if we can get our eyes fixed on Jesus, your whole life will be changed. And so Isaiah chapter 6, it's this really cool experience that the prophet Isaiah has. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two uh, he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and, he, and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. Isaiah's talking now. Woe is me, for I'm a... I am lost, for I am a, a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. In verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? My brother quoted this earlier. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. This is the word of the Lord. What's God like? God is unlike any other. There's this crazy scene happening where Isaiah comes in. He's having a vision. He comes into the throne room of God. And like we see all this imagery from the temple that God told uh, the people of Israel to set up because he's trying to bring heaven to earth and he's displaying, he's bringing earthly displays of what heaven's like. And so there's like this familiar imagery, if you're familiar with any of that, but he comes into this crazy scene where there's these angels that have six wings and they look real crazy and they're covering themselves up and covering their feet and, and they're looking at this holy, uh, this holy God or they're, they're in front of him and they're just not growing tired of saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's this crazy scene. He comes into it, and, and, and it's just this beautiful, amazing thing happening, and Isaiah's response to all of this beauty that's surrounding him is, woe is me. Yikes, what am I doing here? I'm going to die. He, this, what he's doing when he says, woe is me, he's pronouncing a curse on himself. He's saying, I'm screwed. I shouldn't be here. The holy, this is where the holiness of God and the depravity of man are colliding. Where Isaiah feels this chasm between him and God, where he's coming into contact with the author of everything that is life-giving and beautiful and good. And he's recognizing in and of himself that, 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 that no matter how good he thinks he is, no matter how life-giving he thinks he is, no matter how beautiful he thinks he is, he doesn't even come close to him, and he says, I, sh like, I shouldn't be here, and I'm going to die. He's terrified before the Lord. Isaiah's statement in particular, he says, woe is me, I'm, I'm an, a man of unclean lips. 
Now, God gave all of these uh, rituals and laws for people to be clean, and when they were unclean, they had to go through processes to become clean again, and it was just this thing that they had to be set apart to the Lord and be holy. Uncleanliness represented death, and God is the life source and life sustainer, and so he didn't allow uncleanliness to be in his presence, so they'd have to go out of the camp until they were clean again, and then they could come back in. And so Isaiah, in this moment, because to, to be able to approach the Lord and be even in this earthly place with him with the tabernacle that God set up on earth they had to be clean but now he is in this vision like before actual actually before God in the throne room in heaven and he realizes like I haven't gone through any of the rituals to be clean I shouldn't be here right now and he realizes something even beyond all of the uncleanliness, ritual laws and stuff. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. There's an uncleanness about me that's much deeper than my skin. Like there's something wrong with me before this holy God and I shouldn't be able to be standing here in front of me and, and I'm, and I'm going to die. And, and what's, what's happening with Isaiah is that he's getting it wrong about the power of death that they've been given all of these rituals and things to be clean before the Lord. And, he's, and he thinks his depravity, he thinks death, he thinks his brokenness, he thinks his ugliness, he thinks his struggles and his sin and all of this stuff is more powerful than the life that God has to give. He's pronouncing this curse on himself because he recognizes who he is before a holy God, but he thinks if I touch him, I'll make him unclean and I won't, uh, he, he won't make me clean. Like if I shouldn't be here, I'll die if I approach him. And what Isaiah fails to realize is that life is more contagious than death. There's this beautiful story in, uh, in Matthew chapter... Um, eight. Uh, it's the first story in Matthew chapter eight. Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter five starts this sermon out, a famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is like. And then he comes down off of the mountain right after saying, this is what God's kingdom's like. And this leper approaches him. Now, lepers were considered unclean. They literally had to live outside, ostracized from society. And, and when people would try to come near them, they had to say, unclean, unclean, like don't come near me. They were symbols of death. They were literally called the walking dead. They were like walking zombies that had skin conditions that kept them isolated from the Jewish community. And this guy comes approaching God, approaching Jesus, and he says, I know that if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I will be clean. And Jesus, who is God, touches the thing that if he touches this man, he should become unclean. But when he touches him, the man becomes clean because life is more contagious than death. The holiness of God is more contagious, more powerful than our depravity and our sin and our brokenness and our uncleanness. It's more powerful than death. And he comes into contact with this guy and life comes back to him. He's made clean by the Holy One, by Jesus. And notice that the man, he knew that God was powerful. He just didn't know that God actually would want to make him clean. He says, if you will make me clean. And Jesus says, I will, man, that is my will. I want you to be clean. Be clean and touches him. Life, beauty, and goodness is more contagious than death. And the proof that I have that, that we 
that we often approach God the way that Isaiah approach God, approaches God in this moment, where he sees God and he sees how good and wonderful and awesome he is, and he, he says, woe is me, is every time you sin, what happens? Every time you sin, what happens? You have, we, we feel shame, and, and I'm, I'm, I know I'm generalizing, maybe not, maybe you're past this, but you feel shame, you start to avoid God, like Adam and Eve in the garden, I can't approach him, I'm unclean, I can't be near him, I can't be in his presence because I did this messed up thing, I did this wrong, I did this dirty thing, I'm not good enough to be around him, I can't talk to him anymore, I, I feel the separation because of my sin between God and I. You know, you, you guys, that was such a brave thing for uh, you to confess your addiction, man. I, I was telling my, my friend that I was sitting with, I was like, I was like, I was definitely addicted to porn at his age, and I never would have got up in front of a bunch of people and confessed it, that's for sure. And there's such power, power in confession. It brings about accountability. It brings about just the freedom of saying, man, this isn't on my chest anymore. I'm not in hiding. I'm coming out of hiding, and I'm letting people know, like, God is bigger than this thing. And so for, for myself... You know, when I was caught in the, in the deepness of, of my addiction, I would feel the shame, and I would avoid God, and I, I would feel guilty, and I wouldn't feel like I could approach him, and I didn't feel like I could talk to him, because I felt dirty, and I'm like, I'm disgusting. I keep failing. I keep saying sorry, and I keep messing up and going back into it, and so every time, it was like, you know what? I messed up, so, and, and a couple days would have to go by before I'd even talk to God, and it, and, and it was because I didn't feel like I should be approaching him because I was unclean. It wasn't until I got revelation about the goodness of God and who I am in Christ that there is no condemnation left for those who are in Christ Jesus when I realized that God's love for me, regardless of me screwing up in that way, that God still, his heart was set on me, he cared for me, he loved me, that in those moments of failure, I started instead of having shame and avoiding him and saying, man, my death, this death about me is more contagious than his life, when I started to believe that his life, that his holiness was more contagious than my ugliness in the moment of failure I would just be like that was so stupid God I'm so sorry that is not the man that I am I'm pure and holy in your sight you make me pure and holy I can't do it on my own I need the power of your spirit to do it and I'd approach him right away and say I refuse to be crippled by guilt and condemnation right now in this moment devil you don't have any power over my mind anymore Jesus Christ has set me free his blood speaks a better word over me and despite what I just did God in this moment forgives me God in this moment still can see me because I don't bear my own righteousness I wear the robes of Christ and I'm telling you, when my mindset changed, that's when it actually started to break. And the, the times of failure became longer and longer and fewer in between until the point now where I'm free from porn addiction. A, a thing that I never didn't think was going to happen. With just one look. Like we're just seeing him rightly. We've got it wrong. We've gotten it wrong so often about his character. God is convicting. He's not condemning. He's convicting. He helps us see that we're condemned. John 3 says, Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn the world. The world's condemned already. You're already condemned. Je the, the Father shows up, and we see how good he is. And in that, 
we feel the weight of our sin and we, and, and we, we feel the fact that we're already condemned, but he shows up to bring conviction, an invitation to say, draw close to me because my life is more contagious than your death and it can make you right. Conviction's an invitation into something better. First Peter chapter two says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into, this, into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We need to taste the goodness of God. You need to taste the goodness of God. Tasting is a way that we experience the food and enjoy the food if the food is good, right? That's, that, that's what that means. It means experience God and enjoy him. Taste and see that he's good. Like jump into what God is doing, experience him, and allow that. Once you, man, when you taste that the Lord is good, when you, when you experience him, when you enjoy him, that changes something in you. He's the living God. He's not a God that's contained to the pages of a book. Man, I'm, I'm, and listen, I'm all about the word of God. I'm so thankful for the word of God. I'm not diminishing the word of God. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. But the God who is alive and active through his word is alive and active in your life and wants to give you encounter and experience with him. And if he would touch your heart, touch your mind, touch your life, one touch would change you. I'm telling you, one actual experience with the living God will change you forever. It'll be, it'll be this moment that you look back to and say, man, I remember when God touched me there and it changed me forever. It did something to me. I've been touched by God before and, and it was like he, the best way to describe it is like he plugged a flash drive into my hard drive and downloaded everything that I needed for the season and said, here you go in an instant. It was like my flesh was screaming, kill me, and my spirit was like, give me more, Lord. Like that, that's an encounter with the living God. It's him just like screaming, I love you's over you, and you're just bawling your eyes out because you just, you've never, you've heard that God loves you, but now he's telling you that he loves you, and you're just like before him, just wrecked, and you're like, I kind of don't feel like I can take any more of this, but I want more of this. Like, please don't stop. I'm t that might sound foolish to you, but it's not foolish when you experience it. Man, I can tell you what, I'm probably like one of the least naturally charismatic people you ever meet, but I've broken out in laughter before the Lord where he just hit me. And, I, and listen, I had control over myself, but I refused to choke that out because it was the most joy that I've ever felt in my life and I had no reason to be laughing, but I'm just losing it. And I know people are looking at me like, what's this fool doing? And I, didn't, I just didn't care because I was like, I know this is real and I don't care if you think it's real. It's not me. Like, I'm not going to fake it. That's not me. But I'm telling you, I've experienced the living God, and it's happened in my life. Exodus uh, um, chapter 20, it says, Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has came to test you. That the, he, so God comes down on the mountain, and it's peals of thunder and lightning, and it's just this crazy scene. He says, don't be afraid of God. He came to test you that, that the fear of him might be before you that you may not sin. But the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Same encounter, same experience. Both of them saw the mountain, but Moses drew unto God while they were like, no way, get away from us. You go talk to him, we'll stay back here. We don't want nothing to do with that. Same manifestation of God's presence. One person entered in and the other stayed behind. Exodus chapter three. 
This is way back before this experience, and this is to Moses. And it said, God says to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Notice, back in Genesis chapter 3, the first encounter that Moses has with God, he's freaked out. And he's like, I can't even show, I can't even look. I don't want to look at this. Uh, he's afraid of him. But then you come to, to Exodus chapter 20, where there's been some history built with the Lord. And when God comes down in this crazier manifestation than a burning bush, he's like, let me get up in there. And then he gets up in there and he's like, God, show me your glory. And he's like, listen, dude, if you see my face, you're going to die. I'll show you like the back parts of my glory, whatever that means, right? Like, but he's just like, he's just wanting all that he can have of God. There's a transformation that takes place in his relationship with the Lord where he wants to draw near to him. He's tasted the grace of God and it's incomparable. There's nothing like it. If we would taste the grace of God, it'd be incomparable. And he'll have you coming back for more. That's what, that's what this, this part in, in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verse 2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. That longing for the pure spiritual milk, when you taste, it says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you've tasted that he's good, you're going to long for more of that goodness. If you actually experience him and enjoy him, you're going to long for more of his goodness. He wants you coming back for more. I love Psalm 116. It says, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? He's saying, how, how can I repay God for all of the good things that he's done? And then he says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. This is what he says. He says, I can't do anything for him. I'll just say, thanks, give me more. That's all it is. Man. Like God doesn't, we, we can get so performance-based and think that God needs us to do, to do for him. Listen, God chooses to partner with us, doesn't need us, chooses to, uh, to bring us into that place. All he, all he wants from you is to say, thank you, Lord, for the grace that you have. I need more of it. I can't survive without it. I'll lift up the cup of salvation and say, thank you, Jesus. I need more. I need more grace. I, I need to live on your grace. He wants to give you the power to be free. That's why he says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We can't do all that on our own. We need the spirit of the living God inside of us, transforming us from the inside out, making us new, and then we can put those things away. You can't do it on your own, and God isn't even asking you to do it on your own. He's saying, receive the grace that I've given you, and then just keep coming back for more because there's more for you. He's not short on grace. 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's again, it's talking about Moses and the veil over his face. And it says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. The same image of God from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Hear that, like he's just saying, if you look at him, you'll be transformed. Again, like we can try and strive in the flesh, but if you just look at him, you'd be transformed. With just one look, everything changes. I'm captivated. Oh, I'll never be the same. With just one look, everything changes. I'm captivated. Oh, I'll never be the same. If I'm telling you. Just one look, I'm telling you. 
Ephesians 5.26, that we're be, our minds are being renewed by the washing of the water of the word. Again, you're not doing it. He's doing it. Just by you reading the word of God. God is convicting. God is contagious. And he's, and he's covenantal. What covenantal means is he's not into one night stands. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't just want you this weekend. He wants covenant relationship with you. We have such a distorted image of covenant because you know what? Marriage is to represent covenant and we have so many broken marriages in our nation, so many broken marriages in the church. And God has designed this to be a picture of a union that lasts forever. And, and God is not into, God, God wants to be in covenant, eternal relationship with you. Your life matters to him. Your guilt and your sin are atoned for. Your life matters from, to him. Your life has purpose. We talk about like the glory of God and like, you know, what does the word glory mean? You know, that's, that's what we should know what it means because that's what you were designed for. The Bible literally says that you were created for the glory of God. What does that mean? To display the beauty of his holiness. Just to show him, to show him off. By the way that you live life, by the way that you love people, by the way that you walk in covenant relationship with him, displaying the beauty of his holiness. He wants partnership with you. Verse 8, Isaiah gets something that he just doesn't expect. He's saying, woe is me, I should die in this moment. The angel comes with the tongs and the coal, and he puts it on his lips, and he makes him clean. Instead of dying, the life is more contagious than death. The holiness of God purifies him. And then his response to that, as God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. He wants partnership with you. First, First Peter chapter 2 says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called. Man, how are you going to proclaim the excellencies of somebody that you don't know? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The difference between you and the people that you proclaim the excellencies to is this one thing. That you received mercy and they haven't received it yet. Man, there's no separation. We have not, salvation is not of works that anyone can boast. It is the grace, it's the gift of God. But God being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us, lavished grace on us. You're a kingdom of priests. Our covenant is to be known, to know, to, to be known, to know him, and to make him known. You're God's partner, and, and the fact is, is that Adam and Eve screwed it up by chewing, choosing the, free, the, the fruit on the tree. And God is, this whole story of scripture has been God making this beautiful design to just bring his people back to Eden. To just bring them back to heaven on earth relationship, to walking with God in the cool of the day in the midst of the garden. Like what God wants from you, I can say with full assurance what God wants for you is to walk with you. What he wants from you is relationship with you. 
Because in the midst of relationship is where fruit is going to be born out of. You were, you were called to be ministers of reconciliation, but it has to come from the place of relationship. P- what priests do is they connect other people to God. Priests connect people to God. Here's the reality is that you're, we're, a king, we're a kingdom, a nation, a people that are priests. There is no Moses that leads you. You're the Moses. You're the one that gets the direct connect to God through Jesus Christ, the son. You are a priest and you're a priest in a mission field that we as adults don't get to go into. You're priests in school. You're priests on your sports teams. You're priests online when you're playing video games. You're you're priests at your workplace. You're priests. You're You're designed to just walk with God and connect others to God through the life that you live before them with the Holy One. You're there to be, you're a vessel that declares in the way that you live that life is more contagious than death. It's, it, it, you've caught it. You, you've been contaminated by life, by the Holy One, and the life that is in you is more contagious than the death that's in this world. And so often we talk about the darkness and we feel like, man, oh, there's wars and rumors of wars and things are taking over and the culture's disgusting and, and they're promoting a false idea of this and that and sexuality and blah, blah, blah. And the reality is, is that we don't believe that life that is in us is more contagious than the death that this world is trying to give people. But it is. The life in you is more contagious than the death in this world. And we got to believe it because if you believe it, you're going to live like it's true. Like if you believe it, if it, if it actually, if, you, if you're like, man, that's truth. And you start walking like it's truth. It's just going to radiate out of you the life of God. You're to be priests to your teachers. I had a teacher in high school that was like, uh, he was an atheist and he would make fun of God and everything in class and I'd, I'd challenge him and stuff. But I was so respectful to him and like real kind to him and whatever and just showed him the love of Christ. And before I left school, he was like, man, you make me believe that there might be a God out there. And I'm like, man, I sure hope you're being serious when you say that. Because like, that's all I want. There is a God and he loves you. He's like, yeah, I mean, you know, whatever. Like, but he, see, he saw something. He saw the life of God. You're to be priest to your parents, priest to your friends, priest to your enemies. There was this girl that hated everybody at my school. <laughs> like, not just me, everybody. She was everybody's enemy. And uh, she, would walk to, she, she would walk to school every day, and it gets really cold in the winter. I'm from Canada, and it got real cold in the wintertime, and she had a long walk. And I remember passing by her one day uh, in my truck and uh, just stopping and be like, yo, Caroline, you want to ride? And she, like, just kind of looked at me and gave me the finger and kept walking. I was like, come on, get my truck. Like, let me give you a ride to school. It's super cold out, whatever. And I just, like, pestered her until she got in the vehicle, gave her a ride to school. And I just kept doing that. And guess what? She started talking to me at school. She was real nice to me and stuff. It blew my mind. Why? Just because I was kind to her, man. Just, just, just because I loved her, this person that said, I just hate everybody, started to be nice to me, started to talk to me, started to have friendly conversation, just because I took the time to show her the life that is more contagious than the death that she's walking in, that she was living in. I'm telling you, life is more contagious than death. The holiness of God is more purifying than the ugly of this world. Ephesians chapter 1 lays out God's redemptive plan it says in him we have redemption through his blood 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to what? To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He wants to bring heaven to earth. He wants Eden to be restored to the earth. He wants to take over. He wants his kingdom to take over the earth, the goodness of God to take over the earth. And this is only possible in Christ. Christ is the one who is sitting on the throne when Isaiah sees somebody sitting on the throne. He's the, he's the, Christ is the coal that purifies the lips of Isaiah. He's the coal that purifies you. He's the blood that purifies you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's the perfect covenant keeper. When we can't be perfect and can't keep covenants and can't keep the agreements of the law that God puts before us, he kept them perfectly and died in our place. He is the Lord. He is the king. He is the authority. He is the one that we are to submit to and surrender to and to give our, render our lives over to. The gospel is a command. He says, repent and believe. Like It's not, it's not just a request. He is the king. And he says, repent and believe the gospel, the good news. Lord is emphasized a lot more in scripture than Savior is. Savior said like five times. If you want Jesus to be your Savior, then he's got to be your Lord too. Apart from him, we can do nothing. John, John chapter 15 it's a beautiful passage of scripture that talks about abiding in the vine. It's all about being with Jesus in relationship with him. And there's this one part that I, I just think I've, I so often fail to believe that apart from him, I can do nothing. Like it says that apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. That if I try anything in my flesh, it will fail because I can't do anything of eternal or any significance without Jesus. Apart from him, you can. Apart from him, I can. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Your ability to flourish in the mission of God depends on your devotion to God. Reading your word, reading the Bible. Like I'm telling you, it's so, it sounds like such a basic thing, but I, man, I promise you, you read the word of God, it'll change your life. Something supernatural happens while you read the pages and you're falling half asleep because it's boring you to death. In the midst of it, I'm telling you, man, there, there have been times where I just forced myself to read through the book of Leviticus because I was not into it. But in, that, in those moments where I'm just saying, God, I, I just believe that your word's going to do something in me, so I'm just going to do it. And I just and listen, I love the scriptures way more than I ever did before. But at first, it was a chore for me to read his word. Like it, it, I, I wasn't finding a bunch of pleasure in it. I was just doing it in obedience, believing that his word would renew my mind. And, I, and I'm telling you, God just started to awaken and stir something in me as I just was obedient. It sounds so basic, but if you read the word every day, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. Man, that's too simple. That can't be God. I'm the gospel's pretty simple. The blood of Christ paid for your debt, your sins. It's simple, but it's profound, man. Read the word. Pray to the Lord. Talk to him. Gather together as believers. Your ability to flourish in the mission of God depends on your, depe your dependence. Asking for the help of the Spirit. If I, if I could have the worship team come, and I'm, I'm done, but 
Ephesians chapter five says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Don't be, don't be try, don't try to fill yourself with the things of this world. Be filled with the spirit of God. And he, and he wants us to keep coming back to more, but Luke chapter 11 talks about if our fathers who are wicked know how to give us good things, how much more will our Father in heaven want to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He says, if you're evil fathers, when you ask for a, a, a piece of bread, they don't give you a stone. Or if you ask for a fish, they don't give you a snake. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Sometimes I feel like we miss that piece of to those who ask him. Like, you need to ask him. You go before the Lord that's your in-covenant relationship that loves you. Like so often we want to touch from a minister believing that there's some divine power in him that's going to just flow through. I'm not your Moses. You're connected to God. You have covenant relationship with God. He's your father in heaven. And if you ask him, how much more will he give to the spirit to those who ask him? If you just ask him, Father, give me your spirit, he'll pour it out. He'll pour it out. He just wants, he wants to know that you want him, man. He, he's not trying to, he's not trying to force anything on you. There's a reason God, you know, God could just touch everybody and say, all of them, you know, believe and repent. And then and everybody just turn and believe and repent. But he's so gracious and he, that he's given us a, the dignity of choosing. He's given us the dignity of free choice. And so he, he enters into partnership with us and he says, man, if we ask for the spirit, he'll give it to us, but he's not forcing you to ask. And I can't force you to ask tonight, but I can tell you that God stays true to his word. And if you go before him and say, Lord, give me your spirit, he'll give it to you. And even if it doesn't come in the way that you're expecting, I promise you when you ask him, he'll give it to you. He'll give you exactly what you need. And sometimes it might come like a fire. Sometimes it might come like a hurricane. It might come like an earthquake or a tornado and just like mess you up. But sometimes it's going to be like a gentle whisper and it's going to be hardly hardly noticeable you just got to be listening closely to hear it god comes differently at different times in different ways for the way that we need him but the reality is is that if you ask the lord for his spirit he will pour out his spirit because he says so in his word how much more will the father who is in heaven give the spirit to those who ask him you want to be purified you want to be holy ask him for his spirit Ask him for the spirit of the living God to come in you, inside of you and work grace in your life to free you from your addictions, to free you from your chains, to free you from the sin of whatever you're clicking on on the internet, the sin of gossip with you and your friends, the sin of whatever it is. Man, God is bit, life is more contagious than death. He's not scared of your junk. He's not scared of your sin. We just get scared to approach him because we believe so strongly that the messed up parts of us are too broken for him to heal. But I'm telling you, man, take God out of the box and watch him move in your life. God, give me your spirit. Would you stand to your feet with me tonight? we worship would you just like I don't even want to lead you in a specific prayer I want you to use your voice in your way to talk to the God that you are in covenant relationship with and just say God pour out your spirit on me God give me your spirit that you say that if I ask you'll give Lord I'm just asking in obedience please give that's all I got for you guys Holy Spirit do your work Father I pray in these teens 
Father, would you, by the spirit of grace, Lord, bring transformation to their life. Lord, renew their minds. Touch their hearts, Father. Pour out your spirit on all flesh. So often, uh, man, there are people, Lord, that have been warring in the spirit and prayer for revival for such a long time. And God, so often you've brought it through the young people who have dared to believe you, who've, who've dared to say, man, I believe what God has said and just in simple faith, I'm gonna obey. Lord, I pray that tonight in simple faith, we would just obey and say, Lord, pour out your spirit on your sons and your daughters. Lord, I ask you tonight to pour out your spirit on your sons and daughters, Lord, as they're obedient to your word. Lord, you will. You will fulfill it, man. You'll bring it to pass. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Just ask him tonight. One thing I desire, only this I seek, just to dwell, dwell, dwell here forever. This will be my part. Laying at your feet, oh, just to dwell, dwell, dwell here forever. One thing I desire, one thing I desire, only this I see. 